0: Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Purcell. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays from people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There's medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst later changes that led our writers to understand the deep truths about the world each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live not just survive in the glare of cancer we believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next and hearing those stories true stories of transformation that's what ignites the fire within each of us a listener note before we dive in Cancer is a salty business. Sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Lori Hessen Pomerantz. Lori is a psychotherapist as well as an educator and advocate for cleaning up the beauty industry. At 42, she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer that was both ductile and lobular. Her essay is called the day my nipple fell off.
1: So many bizarre, unexpected, and undignified things happen once one hops on board one of the crappiest rides in the amusement park of life, the cancer roller coaster. It will make you scream, want to puke, turn you upside down, and if you're very lucky, land you back to somewhere close to where you started, feeling jostled and lucky to have survived. When my total babe of a surgeon... Explained that my mastectomy would be skin and nipple sparing, I thought I'd hit the jackpot on breast cancer. I wouldn't have a diagonal scar across my chest where my breast once was, leaving a large, tender gash in its place. I would retain a semblance of a real breast. Surgery would involve removing the tumorous breast by opening it from the underside, lifting it up, and scooping everything out. I imagined it like a big melon balling operation. Keeping my skin and nipple intact, my gorgeous surgeon would burrow under my pectoral muscle and put in a tissue expander. In my mind, I thought of all the chickens whose breast skin I'd lifted to stuff with herb butter. I tried to console myself with this thought, as if he was just tucking some herb butter under my skin, not pulling up my pectoral muscles he would inject with blue saline every week until I was filled, like a balloon about to pop. My plastic surgeon and his lively, fabulous nurse practitioner would stretch my pectoral muscles over many months. Once the space, one not meant to have anything under it, was stretched enough, there would be room for a lovely, squishy silicone sphere to eventually be placed in its stead. As the pièce de résistance, when he put in the implant, he would also lift and reduce my other breast for a nice matching pair. Bam, a hot new rack. Although I'd have always loved my breasts before, I had to admit that the aesthetics had taken a beating since motherhood. The new boobs would be my consolation prize for breast cancer and the antidote to post-nursing droopers. Tautic is the medical term for droopy boobs. Did you know that? It was rather depressing when my plastic surgeon referred to my tautic breasts, but I tried to appreciate the silver lining of learning a new vocabulary word. What I never expected is that my nipple-sparing mastectomy would not, in fact, spare my nipple, and that I would become one of the small percentage of women who experience nipple necrosis after a mastectomy. Nipple necrosis. Dead nipple. shrivelly, dead, dried-up, old nipple. No blood flow. Connection to circulation, severed. The nipple withers on the vine like forgotten grapes. Like the stump on a baby's umbilical cord, and falls off. After my surgery, my nipple was swaddled in gauze and balms to help it heal. It was normal that it looked traumatized. I had just had a mastectomy, after all. However, at the post op appointment, a month or so after surgery, my nurse was concerned that the healing wasn't happening and that things were going in a downhill direction for my nipple, although my nipple was no longer pointing downhill. We decided that I'd keep my battle-weary little eraser nub wrapped and protected while we waited to see if the blood flow returned. Things weren't looking hopeful, though, as my nipple went from a high beam to something that looked more like an old mosquito bite scab. My nipple was deflating and dying with each passing day until it finally became clear that it would not miraculously rejuvenate. The only thing left to do was just to wait for it to fall off. The mere thought of my nipple drying up and falling off had me in a state of pre-traumatic stress. I was a wreck. I imagined how much it would hurt when it finally came off and how metaphoric and heartbreaking it felt that the very nipple that had fed and nourished my son from my abundantly milky left breast was dying. For a full three months, I wore a gauze patch inside my bra, protecting my vulnerable, crusty nipple from snagging and ripping off. I was desperately trying to postpone the inevitable. I believed that somehow, if I just kept my nipple protected, it wouldn't jump ship. One day during this bizarre and emotional time, as I catastrophized about my impending loss, my seven year old son came home from his after school program with a burning question What does motherfucker mean? Jack asked, with his head cocked in curiosity. "'Oh, wow, that's a really bad put-down, Jack. "'You would never want to call someone that. "'It's a very mean word. "'Where did you hear it?' I asked "'in my most innocuous Columbo tone, "'trying to conceal my mortification. "'I heard it in aftercare today. "'Some of the kids were having a swearing contest.' "'He paused. "'I could tell his mind was hard at work on something. "'How come no one says fatherfucker? "'I couldn't muster anything better than, "'That's a great question, buddy.' He drifted off into distraction, and I went to my room and sobbed. My tiny baby, who had nuzzled against my now-vanished breast, who had drunk from the faucet of my now-withering nipple, was growing up and hearing swear words and beginning to contemplate what the fuck a father fucker would be. It was just too much, too soon. My baby becoming a teenager, a man, his old cancerous mother, no longer needed to feed and nourish him. The nipple became a symbol of the death of innocence, of the severing of the mother-child connection, as I began torturing myself with the inevitability of my child leaving home one day. Sure, that day was at least 11 years away, but I experienced the pain of it as if it was happening that very night right after dessert. My nipple was necrotic, and I was neurotic. I had to flop out on my bed and just howl with grief. At my next doctor's appointment... My nurse delivered the unfortunate news that there was simply no way that my nipple was going to recover and that I needed to start leaving it uncovered while I slept so it would dry up and completely fall off. I tortured myself with the thoughts of my nipple snagging on my blanket or my jammies and ripping off. I thought of the waves of pain that would grip me when it happened. I needed sleeping pills to knock myself out and be able to rest. I slept in the softest t-shirt I have The one with the holes in it that I've been wearing since high school. I continued to cover my nipple with gauze by day to protect it from friction in my bra. One morning, maybe a week into the sleeping without gauze routine, I woke up and started to get dressed. When I got ready to put on my bra, I looked down and saw that my nipple was gone. Gone. It had fallen off in my sleep. Frantically, I searched the bed, not sure what I thought I'd do when I found it, It wasn't on the sheets. It wasn't stuck to the inside of my t-shirt. I combed the carpet, which is rather scab-covered now that I think of it, and the nipple was nowhere to be found. It had vanished. I hurled blankets every which way, to no avail. My left nipple was MIA. On the one hand, I was hugely relieved that there was no pain, and in fact, that the dreaded event had passed without so much as a wrinkle in my sleep. On the other... I was utterly mystified that my nipple had gone missing. Dressed and ready for the day, I headed out. While we were all gone to work and to school and chemotherapy, our house cleaner came for her monthly visit. Coming home to a tidied house and a freshly made bed was a real treat. It till it dawned on me that my nipple had probably gone through the washing machine with the sheets or taken up residence in our vacuum bag. Things turned from terrifying to comic for me with this realization. I'm thinking that there aren't many housekeepers who have vacuumed up their client's nipples. When Jack was a baby and his umbilical cord stump dried up and fell off, I kept it. It sat on my nightstand, that crusty stump of hard, desiccated tissue. I was attached to it because it was the last fleshy fragment of what had connected my son and me to each other. I wasn't ready to let it go. One day, however, when I headed off with the baby for the day, the same monthly housekeeper came. She cleaned all the surfaces, including my nightstand, and threw away the stump. I came home and it was gone. The newly uncluttered, well-dusted nightstand was lovely, but Jack's umbilical cord stump was gone. When a friend from high school came over later that night to meet my baby for the first time, I told her what had happened. She wasn't a mom yet and said, Ew, you were keeping it? That's sick, my friend. I wasn't sure what I thought I'd do with that old stump or with that old nipple, but somehow I didn't want them to just go out with the trash. Compost, at least? This body of mine has been through hell and back on the cancer ride. My breast was removed. My nipple died and fell off. My areola peeled off with radiation. I had a bald head from chemo and a bald breast, too like a moonscape without the craters. Far from it, it was stretched out and overexpanded with saline to get me all plump and ready for the silicone. I look at photos now of my bulging naked breast and it looks like I was smuggling a bowling ball under my pectoral wall. Herb butter would have been much gentler. Though today, as a vegan, even that seems terribly problematic. It was nine Christmases ago that I went in to get my silicone implant and my reduction and lift. All I wanted for Christmas were my two front teats. It was not to be, however. A series of complications, infections, and the lingering trauma of radiation left me unable to heal. After three hospitalizations and 18 days spent as an inpatient, the breast implant had to come out. Now, rather than a smooth moonscape full of saline, I have what looks more like the site of a bomb blast. A deep crater remains where my breast once was, where my implant once filled in as a proxy. All that is left is the skin from that fallaciously named skin and nipple sparing mastectomy. That spared skin now adheres to my chest wall in a wrinkly mess that looks like an elephant's ankle in a deep concavity that used to be my beautiful breast. It's ironic that as I look back, I would have much preferred the thing I once feared most, having no breast, and a neat, clean, diagonal scar to what I am left with now.
0: I'm Emily Purcell, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within.